In this episode of my Letters to the Ocean of Our People, I record a letter that I wrote to thank a congregation that I happened to visit. In this time of COVID-19, in our third month of social distancing, as best able or privileged to do, I find myself also with other people in my community and around our nation and world protesting and joining together to lift our voices into a new time of anti-racism, of speaking up for justice, of teaching our children well what it is to welcome, to welcome others, to welcome ourselves into beloved community. What is it that we want to model and what is it that we need to ask deep questions about of ourselves how do we hold space for others to do that learning so as i hold us all in the light in this time holding in the light those who are covered by crowds and clouds of witnesses as they join together to speak their truth as i hold in the light those who do not have a chance to feel that place of connectedness of knowing their own voice, of feeling compelled to honor it, and yet instead feel isolated or that their identity is confused in this time. Holding in prayer those who are not able to see their family, not able to have touch. I wonder at what it will look like and what it looks like right now to welcome one another. How do we welcome one another virtually is the question of the day. And also, how will we welcome one another back into spaces, carefully, lovingly, intentionally, as this time of the epidemic shifts and transforms us all? So it is therefore that I feel compelled to share this letter that I've been writing over the last year to thank this congregation I visited once and how it feels interestingly timely almost a year later to offer the letter of thanks as I hold them in prayer and hold us all in prayer for what it is in this time to be so distant and yet so welcomed into the grace of God's love. I would be true, for there are those who trust me. I would be pure, for there are those who care. I would be strong, for there is much to suffer. I would be brave, for there is much to dare. I would be brave, for there is much to dare. I would be friend of all the foe, the friendless. I would be giving and forget the gift. I would be humble, for I know my weakness. I would deck up and laugh and love and lift I would look up and laugh and love and lift
Cultivating a sense of welcome. A letter of gratitude to a congregation I happen to visit. Cultivating a sense of welcome has to become what we offer, what we do, and who we live to be. What would it look like to intentionally place our lives at the center of this question? How do I cultivate a sense of welcome here? Where have I found a true sense of welcome? Where do I feel led to ask this question? Certainly at the friends meetings where I worship and at my workplace, which has presently and for the last dozen years been the local and most Southern friends school. Quote unquote here can be wherever I go. I can find the invitation to cultivate a sense of what welcoming is. One community of faith's welcome stood out to me especially. I once went to a congregation we chanced to visit when we attended the funeral for my wife's great uncle. Though his obituary and word through family tales was impressive and pulled us there, we didn't know him and truly had no connection to the impact of his life. But in the course of the funeral, we came to know a sense of his life through the acts of his faith community. A sense of welcome was my experience at the grounds of this United Church of Christ on a Vermont hillside. Upon entering the field next to the historic cemetery, and later their fellowship hall, I felt a profoundly light and gently welcoming feeling of place, belonging, tender openness, deep calling to deep, to quote the Bible. This is an invitation I have experienced at other moments of my life as part of a calling to ministry and a welcoming to be part of that wide open ocean of people that came before and that's coming into being. Yet, what was it in this place that impacted me so? Perhaps it began with our journey through the countryside and having noted that the way there holds the name of my faith tradition of friends, Quakers. Ironically or wonderfully, this cemetery and church is on a road called Quaker Village. The funeral took place at a field of grass at the edge of the cemetery open enough for our children and their distant little cousin kin to meander and collect dandelions. This land holds a vast view of bright green fields overlooking what I'd learned later from a geologist family member at the reception as a unique mountain range of the area. It is found in the midst of a sea of Vermont hills. In the congregation's historic building rear entrance, stone walls intrigue, as well as the community bulletin board announcing an array of social supports, including posts clearly conveying the congregation's care for its wider community. Evident in the postings was an open commitment to an awareness of the need for advocacy, social justice, and spiritual nurture. In the fellowship hall, simple yet strikingly beautiful handmade art objects adorned and modeled the theological contour of this place. As a Quaker, I hardly ever enter into other denominations' congregation spaces. When I do, it's usually for the typical funeral, memorial, wedding, or holiday gathering. During those visits, I find myself noticing conventional and rote patterns, and this is always a bit distracting, yet very interesting to me as a friend. Quakers often talk of quote-unquote translating to the core of messages heard in our meetings for worship, and definitely when we are visiting or sojourning with other faith services. We find the goodness, the light of Christ, God evidenced in those we meet with well as we can and listen for the message under what is offered that might 
quote-unquote speak to our spiritual condition. Though it may be very different from how we'd articulate our own unique lens of personal conviction or theological language, sojourning with other traditions can be a chance to weave threads of wonder and open our lives into growing into our goodness. We hope to find in others that light, and when we cannot meet it there fully, we endeavor to hold honor for other paths to that light. But this moment for me in my life was unique. Of course, I was opened by the wonder of the glorious, gorgeous travel there, winding through country and visibly awe-inspiring landscape that is unfamiliar to me, yet a little like the northern land of Michigan and the Scandinavia that feel most home to me in this world. I was touched by the tale of two women of this congregation buried in this cemetery where the great uncle was laid to rest near his wife, who had died just the year before. Following the service, and likely upon hearing I was there with my wife's family, the minister told me of these former congregants who had, a few centuries before, been married at this church, served there fully, and been recognized as a couple by the congregation then. I was told explicitly that this place has a long practice of honoring the well, full being of its congregants. Incidentally, my wife and I are celebrating our 10th legal wedding this year. We too had gotten married in Vermont because our Quaker wedding was not then recognized by our local government. Perhaps it was the dear and deep and holy nurturing language of the message that their minister delivered for the funeral. The message had been carefully prepared, yet was delivered intently and fully as if the message of the moment that was us gathering. It really felt that it was the message of the moment. It was touching to us all, but touched me in a unique way personally as a friend who is often called to offer vocal ministry, unprepared and out of listening for the voice of divine in our friends meeting for worship. Prepared messages and sermons I know little of, but I can recognize a profound and honest testimony given, and when it is offered in just the way that the moment calls for, created by the body and through the body. This was the type of preaching I witnessed here. It felt unique and very much welcomed us all, an entry and lens into the chance to know our heavenly home now and eternally. For all of these factors, I felt my presence was fully welcomed at this place. Whatever of these pieces, my heart was given a place to prepare to enter, and I did. I found in the basement fellowship hall an ethereal feeling of a welcoming place. In the sanctuary, I found myself longing to be in the upper room. In the upper room, in the upper room. And observed this church to be living out ways to hold a place to be in the upper room with their Jesus. Most intriguing, I felt very much at home in this church in a way that I've only experienced before when visiting other friends' meetings. I love friends' meetings. I love visiting them, where I find a feeling of openness, of being invited in by the previous moments of worship held there. I felt a welcome that is inward, yet prepared for outwardly by those who worship there. Yet I was taken aback to find, for the first time, I'm in, first time in my life, this same feeling of home passing through this United Church of Christ church. 
It felt timely, because lately, in overtime as a lifelong Quaker, when I enter our friends' meetings, I also feel the heavy, hefty weight of our history. I feel the discouraged and downtrodden disparity that though the depth of worship, friends hold a disparaging worry for how we as a society of friends are dwindling. Friends complain about the burden of the jobs and volunteering needs, the longing for life, yet focus on the list of upkeep and committee work. Friends feel the welcome of God when we walk into our meetings, yet we also wonder at low attendance, mostly elder groupings, and lack of youth and children filling our meeting houses. A frustrating feeling of, quote, we cannot welcome because we can't offer welcome to those who do not come. If we if those who do not come do not understand and know what we are about, how can we welcome them? I wonder if we project holy welcome or a priority of protectiveness that comes across as insular and judgmental and a bit condescending. Friends meetings can be less wonderingly open and welcome than I'd like. So I feel, too, the larger focus picture of concern for the life of our meetings. I have for the past year or more been led to ask this query. What if we welcomed one another at meeting as if we were all continuous visitors, welcoming with wonder and expectation to find the light come to be newly with us, like one welcomes a newborn child? What if we welcomed each other as the visitor, the capital V visitor? Whether we've been at friends' meetings for years, friends our whole lives, or newcomers attending just a few meetings. And maybe this is why I felt so uplifted, to feel welcomed as a visitor myself. It felt so generous and inspiring. It felt Christ-like to be invited in. And I felt that I, and those gathered from the family and congregation, were offered welcome without taking back from us or needing any of our buy-in. This was pertinent for this group of visitors, a highly intellectual, pragmatic group of distant family who were there to celebrate a dynamic, faithful, patient, ingenious, talented, creative person, a father, husband, and congregant. Clearly provided was an offering from the brethren hosting the body of Christ offered yet not imposed modeled lightly, joyfully, and with caring. The welcome, for me at least, indicated a welcome to gather in honor of the way that this beloved person had lived. We welcomed the memory of how he had walked in his faithful time on the planet, honoring that he did so love his family, his chance at this lifetime. And over and under all, he loved his God, who kept him coming back to the way he had found. It did not matter that what faith traditions or not those gathered came from, but it did matter that we all fully fulfilled his celebration of life and let ourselves trust for a moment the truth of what his loving presence had been. We witnessed what God through him had become over patience, persistence, and persevering faith. From the service, it was evident that we could all take what we might from it. We were welcome to let ourselves be invited into this house of praxis, faith and action. We were welcome to wonder at our own path of patience, 
persistence, perseverance. Perhaps that is what I took back as a candle of light, grasping at a beacon of what can be, to imagine what my and our Quaker friends' congregations can offer when we leap to the invitation to welcome. What can it look like to embody welcome? Perhaps like this little place I found, where I came unexpectedly home to what felt like one of those first Christian places, where two or more are gathered. It was a lesson in finding the light come to dwell in us. What would it look like as friends to welcome one another once more that profoundly as Jesus and the disciples once welcomed? What is it to welcome that light in one another as this congregation welcomed we unknown ones into their body? What is it to embody welcoming in our houses of worship? And what might it make of our walking out through our whole lives?